0: One, one, Hello and welcome to the People Powered Green Left Podcast, where we give a voice to the 99% and not the big corporations. If you think this project is important, please consider becoming a supporter today. Now, on to our latest episode.
1: Hello everyone, you are listening to Green Left and we are very happy to have Malik Mia as our guest for today's program. Malik Mia is a long-time Black rights and revolutionary socialist, a former aviation mechanic alongside being a contributing editor with the U.S. Socialist magazine Against the Current and has been a regular contributor for Green Left on the ongoing developments of the Black Lives Matter movement in the United States and is currently based in Los Angeles. So, hi, Malik. Um, I'll just start by asking about... The Black Lives Matter movement, and it being one of the largest social revolts in the history of the United States. Um, And in the midst of a pandemic, we're watching the footage from the US and still seeing thousands of people get out into the streets and put their lives on the line. We're seeing more white people joining in the protests and marching along black people, and also getting tear-gassed, um, and, the, and the public seems to be on the Black Lives Matter side. So you know, we can see it's becoming a public concern, everyday people are seeking out new ways to deal with societal harm, and it's a much broader movement now, uh, even when you have a president who is hostile and unsympathetic to Black Lives Matter. So I just wanted to ask how you feel about the movement and how it's grown.
2: Uh, uh, yes, thanks for the question. Uh, just sort of a minor cor- correction. since I'm from Northern California, outside San Francisco. Uh, people in California, they can make distinction between Southern California, where L.A. is, and Northern California, near San Francisco, uh, which is where I've lived. Um, let me just make the point, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement was a surprise. That's the first point surprised, to me, surprised, uh, I would say, most socialists and other people. It was not that the protests happened. Uh, Black people, every time there's police violence or other forms of attack by local governments, state governments, federal governments, have responded with protests, demonstrations, and so on. Uh, In the past, most of the time these protests happened, it was mainly overwhelmingly African-Americans protests, and then the movement would die down, or there'd be more uh, violence or arrests. What makes this movement unique is that very quickly after uh, George Floyd was murdered in Minnesota in in May, white people and other minorities came to join the protests. That was different. And in fact, it spread to over 2,000 cities over the last two months. Uh, and then when I say 2,000 cities, I mean small towns and rural areas as well as in the big cities. So that was new. That, that was not anticipated and unheard of. In fact, some places like the city I live in, uh, which is overwhelmingly uh, white, the, this, the largest ethnic minority is probably a Mexican or a Native American. Blacks come up third. uh Most of the protests are like 95%. Uh, not, uh, white. And they would carry signs like Black Lives Matters. Local stores had signs Black Lives Matter. So this was different. This was different. And I think the, that wouldn't, why it's so broad. Now, <clears throat> it, it's not over. And even though the media, and I'm sure the international media too, like in Australia, they don't cover it as much, but the protests still go on regularly around the country. Uh, and the demand still exists. One of the reasons is because uh, the Trump administration has taken a hard anti-Black Lives Matter position. Uh, the, the President Trump and his enablers refer to this movement as terrorists, uh, far left wing anarchists. Uh, they've called uh, every name you can think of, but that hasn't changed the support for the movement. So that's, that's why it continues. Uh, and then I would say the second point is that it's, uh, the movement has gone beyond the initial demands to get arrests and prosecute the police who killed Floyd and killed other Blacks around the country. Uh, it, it quickly the demands elevated to new demands like defund the police and, uh, and even the more radical demand abolish the police. So it's taken on a bigger form and that, and that's why it continues to spread.
1: Thanks, Malik. Yeah, you were, you were talking about the media and the coverage of the protests and, you know, the fact that they're calling it the movement of terrorists. Uh, I was reading one of your articles where you mentioned the Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison, who's a progressive black politician who said far-right extremists are hoping to turn the George Floyd protests into a new civil war. Uh, Did you want to just talk a bit more about the lie that the left is behind the violence at federal landmarks and Confederate monuments when it actually seems to be more likely that it's, a, it's an agent um, provocator on the right uh, and the Trump's smear campaign against Black Lives Matter leaders.
2: Yes, the, uh, Keith Ellison, he was the first uh, black person elected to Congress who was actually a Muslim. So as the first Muslim elected to Congress who's of African-American descent, he was always targeted by the conservative movement. Uh, he supported Bernie Sanders four years ago. He supported him now, and he ran for attorney general a couple of years ago. So he is respected by political activists in Minnesota because of his record. Now, I remember interviews with him after May, after the uh the killing, when people were saying it was Antifa, a group they you know make a group that doesn't give its uh, membership names or anything, that, that joins protests against uh, Nazis and Ku Klux Klan and other racists, he said from the beginning that he didn't believe there was evidence that, that, that the left was involved. Uh, he said, but they didn't have the evidence, uh, and and I always believed that too. Some of the first things I've written. I always pointed out uh, it it was more likely it could have been police provocateurs or other uh, right-wing provocateurs, and that's because we have a long history in the black movement in this country where that is the case, where uh, cops or agents infiltrate organizations and carry out uh, violence. And it turns out, uh, and it came out recently, that in in Minnesota, that the the first attack on a business, an auto company, was by a white. Vigilante who was tied to a, a, a right-wing group. And he was arrested. They call him the Umbrella Man. Uh, so this, this, that's the first proof. But the FBI who monitors the, if they had a left-wing agitator or anarchist who did it, they would have been on the front page. It hasn't happened. Uh, the p- protests are always been peaceful. Uh, of course at late night, you could have some uh, criminal elements who just take advantage of broken windows. But the actual initiation, of this type of uh, extremist actions are more on the right, uh, and, and not the left. Uh, the, the one reason I also say that most protests that are organized that are peaceful, the organizers are aware of this and they try to self-discipline. They try to organize their own marshals, even though they the, the media may not cover that. But most organizations, especially in the Black movement, are aware of these provocateurs. So they try to discipline themselves. Uh, so that's why that's why what he said, I believe, is true. And, it, it, you know, it doesn't mean they're not going to continue to do that. Trump sent police to Portland, Oregon. He sent them to other cities uh, to try to provoke attacks. But all it did in Portland, Oregon, was to cause more people to come out and demonstrate. More people demonstrated. More people. So they've sort of retreated on that so far.
1: Yeah, I was watching a a few of the protest footage and this one protester in Poland was saying, you know, we came out here dressed in T-shirts, spinning hula hoops and they started gassing us. And then, you know, so we came back with respirators and then they started shooting us. So then we came back with vests and then they started aiming for the head. And so then we started wearing helmets and now they're calling us terrorists. So, yeah, it was just interesting to to watch that footage, and, you know, he's asking who's who's escalating it. It's certainly not us. (laughs) Um, Yes, and
2: and that's what's been going on. If you come out and try to defend yourself, they call you the person causing the violence. Exactly. Uh, More and more people see that as as, as fraudulent. So, you know, I'll talk more about the difficulties of the movement, but on that particular issue, people see what it is and, and, and reject it.
1: Yeah, I'm just, sorry, I just lost my, I just lost my notes there. Uh, yeah, I'm just gonna try to segue, um, into a, a, another question, Malik. In one of your articles for Green Left, you mentioned that progress is made, then derailed, uh, reversed or overwhelmed by powerful reactionary forces, uh, like the election of Barack Obama, the first African American president was then followed by someone like Trump. And you were saying past gains are eroded and can only be defended by more agitation and populist struggle. Would you be able to tell us uh, about some of the gains won by the recent Black Lives Matter movement and how it has changed the way people fight for freedom and have inspired protests around the world?
2: I think the most important change today is the political consciousness that has uh, in the consciousness, social consciousness of the population about Black Lives Matter. That is, six years ago, seven years ago, Black Lives Matter is a concept only Black people really believed it. Very few other people understood it. In fact, the pushback was "All Lives Matter," which was just a way of saying you're 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 trying to say that you're special, which of course it wasn't the case. All the people who are attacked are Blacks. Whites don't get attacked the same way in this country. This is not the view now. Most most young whites, I would say for sure, unless they support Trump, but most young whites recognize that. They say, yes, Black Lives Matter. They're, they're treated wrong. That's a change. That's a fundamental change, and it won't just disappear right away. So that's, that's the most important thing. Now, that change in consciousness means other demands are more possible. Other reforms are possible, but there's a lot that needs to be changed in this country. We have a criminal justice system that is always uh, that's racist, meaning uh, whatever activity a black or a brown, native, indigenous person does, they get disproportionate penalties over white. That hasn't that hasn't stopped yet. Uh, you continue every day somewhere in the country, some black person or uh, you know Latino or or uh, or or gay they so they're they're arrested for no reason or beat up. that hasn't stopped The difference is you get immediate response, you get more protest now the long run would be if they change some to make it different now we haven't seen that most of the discussion now, which is one of the reasons I made that point, is about co- what I call more cosmetic. you know they a lot of police stations say they won't use a choco okay as a technique, Well... <laughs> The choco, yes, you shouldn't use, you shouldn't use tear gas. Some, some cities that shouldn't use tear gas. Tear gas is a weapon of war. It's banned in international war using those kind of chemical weapons, but it is allowed in cities, in countries. Why? You use it against your own people. Um, so those are good demands, but the problem with even those demands, like the choco, like they use in Minnesota and other cities, is it always has a caveat that says, well, unless the police man a person feels threatened. If you feel threatened, you may have the right to do that. There's the problem because the way the police work, and I'm sure it's true in Australia, you have the right to, def- to protect yourself by just proclaiming you feel threatened by whoever you're attacking. So the, 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 it, that's why the real demand is around defund and abolish, which is, is, which has not made a lot of progress, though it's being discussed.
1: Yeah, uh, Malik, you were talking before about the shifting of consciousness and given the nature of the mass movement and the impact it is having on shifting mass consciousness, uh, what has been the response of the Democrats in their attempts to co-opt the movement for their... So I was just wanting to ask, would you consider the recent nomination of Kamala Harris as the vice presidential nominee to be part of such Co-option by the Democrats.
2: Well, I wouldn't see that as a, a, co- a co-option of this movement. I do, but it is a significant decision because uh, you know we've never had in this country a, 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 even a woman, white woman, elected as president or vice president. So the idea of picking a woman who actually is a, a daughter of two immigrants, one from Jamaica, one from India, is significant. Uh, she. You know, put whatever you think of her political views, it is significant that a, a, a woman from two immigrants and black and and South Asian to be on the ballot would be seen as such. Just as when Barack Obama was nominated, it was considered very significant, even in whatever his politics. So I don't think that's the case as far as the movement. I think uh, Kamala Harris so far, uh, she still says she supports the Black Lives Matter. To man, she still says she supports protesting. Uh, we'll see how far along that goes. Uh, but she didn't support defund the police, of course, not dismantling the police, which would be more important. Uh, but the pressure will now be on in the movement to stop mar- to stop marching because of the elections are in 83 days. So all Democrats will want to make sure people vote, and they will want to go out to the streets and vote and not push this issue. Left-wing activists don't agree with that. Uh, they've never agreed with that. But, you know, we'll see how, how, you know, they'll keep protesting, but this will be a factor. Uh, but that's always true in, a, in elections, particularly presidential elections. Uh, the, the good news is that so far, even the Black Democrats who are elected continue to say what John Lewis said it's important, you know, to support protests even if, you should also go out and vote. That's that's important. And uh, they've also, uh, while they don't support this defunding the police, they do say that we should have reforms. Now, what kind of reform? That's a debate. But they're not. They refuse to take the position of the government. Trump that the movement is uh, anti-American. You know, enemy of the people, et cetera.
1: Thanks, Malik. I just wanted to ask you a question on the the unions to strike for black lives. Uh, there was a strike for black lives, a, a mass walkout that occurred throughout the United States on July 20 uh, of this year. And the Associated Press compared the strike to the Memphis sanitation strike back in 1968. Um, and you mentioned in your article in Green Left um, that, this action combines the strength of the anti-racist movement and the unity of the unions. And we know that unit unionization in the US is low. Um, how has the B, the, the, the Black Lives Matter movement encouraged more union activists and workers' determination during the pandemic of COVID-19 and racism? And how crucial do you think it is that unions step up to join the anti racist fight, especially when we can see the greatest impact of coronavirus is on oppressed communities?
2: Well, as you said, the, the union movement is not very strong in this country, and the unions have not played a leadership role in the movement overall. I mean, workers who are in unions are very active. Uh, but what but, but what's happened is that a lot of the more militant unions, local unions, have joined the movement, have been in the streets. Man, the weakness is the leadership. So I'll give you an example. And I haven't written this yet. It's on my list. But, uh, you know, in the meatpacking industry, that's uh, where it, it was one of the first industries that Trump said they had to go back to work because they needed to produce beef and pork and chicken. Now most of those workers are Latinos, heavily Latinos, okay, and even, and, but they're still unionized. And the union they're in, uh, unfortunately 20 some years ago was basically broken by the employers, but they were able to keep the union. So the union contracts still exist, but they, they don't have much leverage. So even though the union had the correct position that she have PPE, the protective equipment, they should help the workers, they, they it didn't really happen for the most part. And they would not call like safety strikes, which is what you should really do. You say, don't go to work until they provide, they wouldn't do that. So a lot of workers got the virus in these plants. Uh, and a lot of them were sick, some died. Uh, and and that's still an issue. Uh, and uh, because a lot of these workers don't have very good healthcare like most countries in the industrial world, we don't have national health care. So you have to do it with your employer. So a lot of these workers have had to go to work. Now, the unions, like I said, they take the formally correct position, but they don't do anything. They should actually, I've, I've, I've you know, people I know, I always say the only way you're going to stop this, you have to, you, if you can't formally strike, you can do safety acts. Say, until it's safe, I can't go to work. But the union would have to back. So that's not been the strength, except for the longshoremen. You know, they did a day of action in June, on June 10th, around the uh, end of slavery up in the West Coast, and they did shut down for a day. But that union's always been a militant union, and they were involved in the. Overall, the AFL-CIO, our main federation, gives lip service to the union, to this stuff, but they don't do a lot because they include also the police union. Which I don't, I don't consider unions. I call them unions, but they're not. <laughs> they're basically, I call them like cartels in the drug drug industry. Uh, they're, the role of the police union is to attack the protesters, is to is to uh, support the right, and so on. So they want to keep those unions in the federation. So they're they're not doing what they should do now. Technically, right now they support Joe Biden, the Democrat. So they're going to come out. And try to get Biden elected, but they have not been front and center of, 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 the, of the, uh, protest movement. But there are some local unions like the longshore, like, uh, uh some of the meatpacker workers, some of the health, obviously the healthcare union, the nurses union is one of the most militant in California and other states. They've lead, they've been out there, but they're in a weaker position because, you know, they, they need the support of the entire labor movement. So it's positive to see what's going on, but I would say it's the Black Lives Matter movement helping provide the cover for the unions to do more. It's not that the unions have taken the lead, it's the Black movement taking the lead and helped drag along the other forces. Thanks, Malik. You, you
1: mentioned the nurses' union there being the most militant. And I would imagine that that union is predominantly female. Um, yeah, the, and I was just going to, you know, just maybe have a chat to you about the women's role in the, in the future of Black Lives Matter. You know, the, the Black Lives Matter movement, it's an old movement. It just changes names. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Started during enslavement, the civil rights movement. It's been run by the student. Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. It's been run by the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, uh, John Lewis, uh, Dr. King's movement. But the recent Black Lives Matter movement was created by three black women, um, Alicia Garza, uh, Patrice Coloz, and Opal Tometi after George Zimmerman's uh, acquittal for Trayvon Martin's death, who was a 17-year-old who was shot back in 2012. And women have been organizing protests, they've been organizing rallies, marches, die-ins and have been showing leadership in responses to police brutality. And I just wanted to ask you, how, how are black women affected by police brutality and how do you think they're shaping the future of Black Lives Matter?
2: Uh, but no, that's a very important point. Uh, black women have always played a, help, a leadership role in the civil rights movement historically, but they never got the credit. They were, they were more behind the scenes, or even when they weren't behind the scenes, they didn't get the credit. <laughs> so uh, the, the, what's new about this movement, this phase over the last six years, as you said, the, the three black women who are also gay, they were the ones who initiated it. A lot of the leaders in the local, they don't all take the same name. They have different local names. Like in Minnesota, they have one name, and they may have a different name in different cities. But they're all sort of affiliated to the concept of the movement for Black Lives. A lot of them, the most, uh, the main, a lot of the leaders are women, Black women, um, uh, Black queers women too so it's a it's much it's it's different than anything that was in the civil rights era of the 1960s uh or 70s it's much more prominent they're playing a leadership role uh you saw the big there was a big demonstration in brooklyn last month of black of queers black queers uh gay people and it was made it was led by women so it's a big role the question is uh you know Getting the recognition, and that's more the case, I think. Now, black women, of course, are attacked by police. They don't get the same prominent news. The Breonna Taylor case, which has gotten prominent international news, uh, because she was an essential uh, worker, you know, emergency medical technician. She was killed in her home, uh, and she's still, the police in that case still haven't been arrested. Nothing's happened to them. But her name has become known all over the country and it's, it's become a big issue. But women all the time, I just give you an example. Just last week, a few days ago, uh, in Colorado, another a Midwest state, uh, this woman and five girls were going out to a little spa in the, in, in this town. They were stopped by the police. They claimed their car was stolen, which it wasn't. One, the woman driving had her teenagers and her young daughter of six. They're all pulled out of the car by gunpoint, thrown on the ground and handicapped and handcuffed. They never told him why. Okay. The only reason anyone knows about it because someone filmed, it, you know, with their phone, but they, they denied the police as typical just pretended that they, 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 they were not following orders, but the video showed. They just ask, why are you stopping us? So these were all women and girls. So this is very typical. These things happen all the time. hasn't changed. So the only change is that we have cameras. (laughs) We have video. And now people know. But the other side is not that people just know. People go out to the protests. People demand action. That's what's new. That still is new. You see how, how long it goes on. But the key... I think women are playing a a much bigger role than ever before. They're leading a lot of these organizations, leading a lot of these protests. And I think that's one reason it's so strong and powerful.
0: Yeah, thanks for that, um, Malik. Um, I just wanted to jump in um, and ask a bit of a question um i've been following there's been quite a lot of recent commentary on the kind of state of America at the moment uh from the intercept and democracy now um and of course this is what i've been hearing um i wanted to hear your comments on the certain the level i guess of social dysfunction uh in the united states whether you know the whole covid-19 pandemic is far worse than anywhere else in the world there's also a growing kind of far right Movement And in fact, that far right movement has been, in a sense, been attracted to some, you know, certain sort of conspiratorial ideas against COVID-19. In fact, there's this whole debate about a notice about people refusing to wear masks. Um, there was even a recent study that said one in fir- um, 30, 30, 33 percent of Americans would refuse to get a COVID-19 vaccine if existed. And of course, then going to guess another direction, um, some people are commenting that, uh, they could see that the result of all these contradictions in the United States could lead to a potential sort of civil war kind of scenario in the United States. And I kind of wanted to hear, I guess, all your kind of comments on all that, because I guess all those sort of social contexts and that sort of big claim seem to be pretty linked.
2: <laughs> no, that's an important question, too, because the pandemic is still, you know, we're still in the first phase of the pandemic six months after it started, and it's only in the first phase because we haven't done anything. We've done very little because President Trump, you know, he doesn't. Believe, he first called it a hoax, and I think he still believes it's a hoax. He doesn't believe it's real. He says it will go away. He 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 also he doesn't wear a mask. Maybe he wore it once, twice, and he doesn't wear it. Uh, he urges all the schools, the public schools, to reopen, the colleges to reopen. He, so the, if you got the president and he has a 40% base, electoral base in this country, it stays the same. He's got 80%, 90% of Republicans still support him. So if you take that 40% base and you spread it across the country. There are a lot of people who don't believe scientists. There are actually health officials in this country in different states that had to resign because of threats to their life. Okay, because they told people what they should do. So it's a real problem. It's a real issue. Uh, and the second thing, so the pandemic is getting worse. I mean, we we are four and a half percent of the world's population. We have twenty five percent of the cases, twenty five percent of the deaths, and it's not it's not getting smaller. Uh, so yes, everything you say. Now, well, the, the the political problem is that Trump also doesn't believe the elections will be uh, democratic. He's, he refuses to say if he'll accept the presidential election in November. So if you have the pr- president. Say something, and uh, he says that if, if if he says he thinks elections rigged because he says if you mail in a ballot it's it's automatically illegal even though in our country you know the military have been mailing in ballots since the Civil War in the 1800s so it's not like a new thing uh, so you have that problem and there's a lot of far right organizations and far right groups and we 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 have. Uh, a situation where the largest uh, media station, as far as uh, talking heads, is Fox, Fox News. So they 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 get everybody all angry, and they they just make up lot. And then there's two or three other far right media outlets. So yes, things can get pretty hot heated. The problem is the Democrats and liberals just assume it will work out. They claim it. Will They're not, you know, they're concerned, but they're not. They believe if, if they get a big enough vote, Trump will accept it and then they're, and they'll, they'll walk them out of president. We have a gap. We're not like a parliament. You get on November 30, you have a presidential election, but you don't take office till January 20th. (laughs) So there's two months before the new president comes in. There's a lot of havoc can be done by Trump if he actually loses the vote. So yes, I don't, I don't know if it would be a civil war. Uh, it's too early to say, but it, it, many things could happen. Many things could happen because Trump is willing to, he doesn't follow any of the traditions of normal capitalist parties and rulers in this country. He could, he could just say the military is going to guard all the uh, state ballots and uh, shut down uh, voting booths. Will that happen? I don't know. Could it happen? Yes. And then we'll see what people... do. So it's it's an unknown. It's an unknown, but uh, I, I, I think it's... Uh, the pandemic, though, could do them under because it's not getting better. And the Republicans start are dying, too. It's not just, you know, liberals or something. You know, just is note the racism. I didn't talk about the racism. Part of what racism does... See, right now, it, disproportionately people dying are black, you know, indigenous people and brown people. Okay? In Trump's mind, that's a good thing, right? Because if that's most of the people dying, what is does he care? His base is not dying. The other point is, that it's disproportional for seniors over 65. Again, even though he gets a lot of votes from seniors, but again, that's not what he considers his main base. So there's a lot of that could go on that that uh, the pandemic, but you know, the, 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 there's a possibility we could have 250,000 dead people by the election, maybe 300,000. Think of that. that so it, it, that could be his downfall, but he doesn't go play by the normal rule book. So we'll see. My view is the mass struggle is the only way to stop him. Black Lives Movement has to spread to other communities. These protests must get bigger as we go toward the elections, and we'll see if it happens. Uh, the Democrats, of course, would try to get people just to go out to vote. So it's unclear how this will unfold.
1: Yeah, just finally, uh, Malik, going back to the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, just because COVID 19 has put a spotlight on racial inequality. Uh, And in one of your articles you wrote for Green Left about John Lewis shortly after his death, you ended it by saying that being a good troublemaker and breaking immoral laws is the first step towards full equality and that an end to systemic racism will require an anti-capitalist revolution. And it's exciting that everyday people who wouldn't necessarily think of themselves as radicals or socialists are saying things like, you know, using words like defund and abolish and, you know, abolish the police. Um, and as socialists, we agree that oppression, including racism, are endemic to capitalism. What do you think are some of the challenges that socialist organisations, like for instance, the DSA, uh, Democratic Socialists of America are facing right now? Um, you know, what should be the role of socialists is
2: right now yeah so uh, in the United States there, there's different little uh, there's different socialist groups from the more traditional what I call Marxist organizations uh, to organizations like DSA which, uh, which which are more what I would call in the social democratic uh, perspective and I used to word social democratic like in Europe because the the DSA has been very supportive of the black line movement and they're in it and they got a lot of the young people in it on campuses and other places but at the same time they they support the democratic party even if they're critical of it they they they're going to vote for joe biden uh and just automatically i mean that's their view that doesn't mean everyone in it will do that but from from you know if you are a, a more traditional marxist you don't see voting for one of the capitalist parties as the way forward to continue to raise the class struggle. Uh, <clears throat> I would be more inclined to say, since there's no real socialist alternative, you, you would support probably the Green Party candidate for president because the program Howie Hawkins is laying out is much more progressive. Uh, but that that's a separate question. On the actual movement, socialists are in it for whatever currents they're involved. And most of them would obviously educate that the, the pro- source of the problem is capitalism. Now, how they explain it is another issue. But they they agree, that this, how do you deal with racism? The problem with racism in the United States, every time you make a reform like this, what you asked earlier, it can be taken away. Right? Because you, you push it, like in the 60s, you push for the right to vote, now it's been eroded. You push for housing inequality, then it's eroded. Because you have to challenge the system itself, because the system is based on what? The private ownership of all wealth or means of production in the, in the classic sense. So as long as that's the case, they, they work overtime to take back any gains. So we lost many of the gains, one in the 60s and 70s, because the ruling class kept pushing it back, pushing it back, including the Voting Rights Act. So now how, it, it poses the question again of capitalism. You do that. So you know, socialists are the only ones can explain it because we can explain the system, but you know we're a minority. So the key is to be involved in the struggle, which socialists are, and to try to get the people trying to ask the more fundamental question: What well, you say it's capitalism? How do you how do we change it? And You say well, you got to build a revolutionary movement that challenges the way the system is done, uh, and then you raise different demands that move in that direction. So that's what I think most socialists are trying to do. Uh, as we go into November elections, because they're divide among socialists like DSA and others, you know, they probably shift to supporting Biden and Harris more <laughs> down the road than, and still support the protests, but they'll put more energy in that, which I wouldn't think is the correct way to go.
1: Oh, thanks. Thanks, Malik. Uh, did you have any other final comments that you wanted to contribute or anything I have forgotten to cover?
2: Well, I think you'd covered uh most everything. The only thing I would say, if we, if we, you know, it would be useful at some point for the socialist left to have more of a discussion on how to transform this consciousness to be beginning to see the, you know, revolutionary consciousness, because that's a whole nother discussion. Because you can't just go on a move and say, yes, I support the protests, I'm involved, which is good. But then you have to say, okay, you people who want to go beyond that, you need to get involved in an organization that thinks like that. And that's that's the weakness we have in this country right now. I mean, the best is probably DSA, but then they have the problem of electoral politics.
1: Thanks, Malik. That's a great way to end this interview. Um, yeah, the Black Lives Matter movement is it's changing the world. And yeah, we thank you for your time to speak with us this morning, or in your case, afternoon.
0: I hope you got a lot out of this episode. To continue producing shows like this, we need your support. Consider becoming a supporter for $5 a month, sharing this show on social media, and submitting your own stories. You can do all this at our website, greenleft.org.au.